This is Cultivate a Good Life, episode 145, Effortless, with Greg McEwen. I'm Becky Higgins, and with me is my friend and co-host, Becky Proudfit. Well, hello there. How's it going, sister? It's just going fantastic. It's better than fantastic. We have Greg McEwen on the podcast. What the heck? Heck, This is a dream (laughs) guest. I mean, you probably feel familiar with his name because we mention Mm -hmm. his first book, Essentialism, about every other episode, maybe? Pretty much. It comes up a lot for good reason. We both obviously are big fans of him as an author and that book that he wrote, Essentialism. We mention it so much because the principles in it seem to apply to literally every aspect of life. So it's not really shocking. And I think people might initially be like, oh, that's a business book. He's a business author. No, Mm -hmm. no. Mm -hmm. Like this applies in motherhood probably was my biggest application, right? Like motherhood, life, friendships, uh, Mm -hmm. school, like everything. I felt the very holistic approach in it for sure. For me personally, I felt the same way. I, I applied it in ways that when I first read it, that were applicable at that time and in that season, knowing that there was a more broad approach. And then I have revisited much of it. And I have said for a while, I want to reread it again. This is, uh, this is definitely the type of book that I would reread several times throughout my life. And if you're wondering, a few episodes ago, we mentioned, I mentioned that I pay my kids to read specific books. That's right. Yeah. Essentialism is definitely on that list. Oh, as it should be. Read this and mm-hmm. give me your takeaways. Yep. I'll give you 25 bucks yep. all day long. <laughs> if no, I had only known the things in that book yep. 20 years ago, for heaven's sakes. Well, and what you guys should know is before we recorded with Greg, Becky and I both read the book cover to cover. We did that in two ways. We listened to it in the audible version. Mm. And why would we do both? Why did I, and for me, like I had that physical book in my hand with my highlighter and my pen because I had to, like once I heard things, I was like, Oh, I I have to capture that. I don't have to rewrite everything because it's hello. It's a book. Yes. (laughs) The physicality of his books are truly amazing. And Becky's referring to his new book that we'll be talking about in the episode episode called effortless, which Mm -hmm. is kind of a follow-up and we'll let Greg tell you all about that. But the thing we love about it is Audible and books you can get on audio are our favorite because they can come with you in the car or, you know, when you're hiking or doing whatever. But we wanted to let you know and kind of urge you that if you're going to do the audio version of this book, go on Amazon. It is absolutely worth getting a hard copy as well. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you why. In his books, there are graphs. There are all these little tidbits, the way that they curate the content visually, it's almost kind of textbook Mm -hmm. and it is incredibly enjoyable to listen to and read. But more than that, you are going to want to take notes. You're going to want to see the great visuals they provide for some of the concepts that he is explaining. Like this is something I feel like every home in America needs the duo of these two books. (laughs) Totally agree. And if you're wondering about the difference between the two books, that's also discussed in this conversation with Greg. You guys are going to love it. Now let's tell you a little bit about Greg. For those of you who are less familiar, um, Greg McEwen is a speaker. He's a best-selling author and the host of the popular podcast, What's Essential. He has been covered by the New York Times, Fast Company, Fortune, Politico, and Inc. And he's been interviewed on NPR, NBC, Fox, and the Steve Harvey Show, and is among the most popular bloggers for LinkedIn. He's also a young global leader for the World Economic Forum. McEwen's New York Times bestselling book, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, has sold more than a million copies worldwide. 
Originally from London, England, he now lives in California with his wife, Anna, and they have four children. Mm. This is such a treat. We are delighted and honored, and we are going to share with you this conversation with Greg McEwen that just has us still feeling like we're on cloud nine from all of the valuable insights. But first, let's hear a quick word from this week's sponsor. There's a good chance you have and use the Project Life app. You know that bringing your photos and written memories together in the palm of your hand with this app is pure magic. The finishing touch of all that documenting that you're doing in the app, of course, is actually printing those pages. We are huge fans of the photo books, and if you have yet to order one, we highly recommend it. They're gorgeous. Ordering happens intuitively and entirely in the app and ships right to your front door. Having said that, we know that there are plenty of documents projects that make more sense to print individual pages instead of bound photo books. Absolutely. Hey, I'm regularly sharing that kind of app inspiration on Instagram, so watch for it. Now, in light of those individual pages you're printing directly through the app, you should know that the basic products you need to support your app documenting are in stock and available in the BH shop. Albums, page protectors, even envelope pages to hold memorabilia and dividers to keep your memories marked and organized. It's all available at shopbeckyhiggins.com. Friends, make those pages and print those pages. Between the app and the BH shop, we have got you covered for all your documenting needs. Well, Greg, welcome to Cultivate a Good Life. What an honor to have you with us. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Becky. Thank you, Becky. Well, Isn't that this easy? is <laughs> it is. It's effortless already. It. <laughs> right? <laughs> See, we make your life more effortless by not having to remember our different names. You're welcome for that. That's no, for I, sure. I appreciate that. We need everyone to do that. It would make right. life we would all remember names far more easily. Well, and let it's me just so tell true. you. You probably feel like a very close friend to a lot of our listeners because we have mentioned essentialism probably a million times probably more than most books yep (laughs) and we do that because it truly was a book that changed our lives it certainly changed how we did business and for me particularly Mm. really challenged the overachiever inside of me (laughs) that I hadn't realized was pretty much ruining my life so thank you for that (laughs) to put it lightly (laughs) yeah I I, I sort of feel like I need to apologize somehow you're like I was I was feeling fine everything was fine and then suddenly (laughs) this book comes along and I see things I didn't see before quite the opposite yes and I think that's kind of the magic of it is is I felt before we read this and actually Becky had our whole team we kind of read it um in conjunction with one another and as I was reading it it almost was giving articulation to the little bit of off balance I had been feeling for a Mm. long time but I never thought in a million years you know that perhaps my overachievement was the issue perhaps the never enough was the problem and so it helped me get really clear about what I want to do and what I want my life to be like. Mm. Well, it's uh, it's inspiring for me to hear that, and uh, you know, you, you're it's, it's all of you, the breathing life into essentialism. Uh, I, I always like the idea that a book is not an entirely dead thing. Um, That's right. But it's not fully alive either until someone comes along, until you come along, until you read it, until you start connecting it to your life. And so I, I'm, I'm in your debt for, for doing that. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that it was useful, really. So I have a, my first question I have for you is, is can you kind of lead me up the process of 
what brought about essentialism? Like what was the spark inside of you that wanted you, that made you want to write, want to write this? Well, there was on the personal side, I remember receiving an email from my manager at the time that said, look, Friday between one and two would be a very bad time for your wife to have a baby. Um, <laughs> Can you even because imagine? Because I, <laughs> yes. I need you but to come to this, to this client meeting. And mm-hmm. uh, and then Friday comes along. We are in the hospital. Our daughter's been born just a few hours before. And instead of being focused and present in that clearly essential um, moment, experience, uh, I am feeling torn. I've got my laptop out, my phone out, and I'm trying to keep everybody happy. And, you know, to my shame, I went to the meeting. And afterwards, I remember um, uh, my manager saying, look, the client will respect you for the choice you just made. And uh, maybe they did, but the look on their faces didn't evince that sort of respect. And either way, it's clear in hindsight that I made a fool's bargain. And what Mm. I learned from that was if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. And it turns out that I'm not alone in that. As I went on a research and writing process, I found that there's uh, an inordinate number of people who feel um, stretched too thin at work or at home, that feel busy but not necessarily productive, who feel their day and life is hijacked by other people's agenda for them. And and that's really the, the pain point that essentialism, the book, addresses and... Um, so that's the story behind essentialism. Well, one thing that we love about that is maybe that wasn't our exact experience, right? In the hospital with your right. spouse, with your family, and then this business situation. But I think any reader, um, just like we did, when you read that or you listen to it, because that's the preferred way to get through Greg's book, guys, by the way. I mean, oh, listen. <laughs> well, that's a right? nice thing to say. That's kind of you. That's kind of you. But, But truly, you hear a story like that and you instantly connect with a story from your own life where we all went, oh, shoot, I Mm. did that, right? Mm -hmm. And that's that's where we really connect with it. Becky mentioned that our whole team read it. I made it a required reading for our team for a reason. In my opinion, essentialism needs to be required reading for any adult in life that is human, that is breathing air. Um, (laughs) And I don't say that to make you blush. I really believe it because when it comes down to it, you really need to understand um, at a cellular level what is truly essential to you and how to do that. So then the question is, you know, when I read it personally, I felt like, oh, this encapsulates everything we need to understand about essentialism. And yet here you are, right, with Effortless, another incredible book that is promising to be another bestseller. Mm. What is it that brought you to writing Effortless when we feel like as a reader, we got everything we could ever want to know about essentialism in that first book? So if you had to summarize essentialism in one word, it would be prioritization. Mm. And if you had to summarize the new book, Effortless, in one word, it would be simplification. And mm. what I find is that you could read either one and, you know, they're standalone books. Hopefully you could find value in either one Absolutely. of them. Absolutely. But together is where the magic happens. And so to use a British example, you know, Paul McCartney and John Lennon both made music separately but the magic happened together. That's when, you know, they're together in the Beatles. And so that, that's too grandiose of an example, but that's how I think about these two books. 
that together there's something there's a sort of multiplication effect when you have them together mm-hmm. and and the why behind it is because I feel like I was living essentialism and being more selective than I'd ever been but I still found myself coming up to a limit running out of space and to use a metaphor I'm sure everyone's heard of the big rocks theory. Yes, love it. Which is where, you know, you have a a container. If you put in the sand, then the small rocks, then the big rocks, the geometry of that is that they won't fit. Uh, But if you put the big rocks in first, and then the small rocks in between them, and then the sand, it all fits. You know, this is all symbolic for the big rocks are your health, your most important relationships, uh, the the vital few projects in your life. However, that's how it's supposed to work. My life started to feel like despite trying to put the most important rocks first, they still weren't fitting. Mm. Uh, to, to say it this way, like what if you have too many big rocks? And, uh, and, and that was already true, even though I was being, as I said, highly selective. Uh, and then in the midst of this, I have a um, family crisis um, uh, health of one of my children while I'm traveling uh, and and there's a whole story behind that too but the short of it is that I suddenly hit a wall and it's just like yeah th- th- there's what what I have is necessary but there needs to be more uh, because mm. there's some circumstances in life I think a lot of people can relate to this especially over the last year where you can't just put the rocks down well, this child will just put that child down. We just won't worry about them for a while. Well, my health for a year, I just won't worry about their health. Uh, I mean, there's there's these things that we they don't suddenly all these responsibilities didn't go away just because I was dealing with a family crisis, and so that was the impetus for this discovering the need to discover, uh, not just how to figure out what is essential, but a, a new way of actually going about doing those things once you have found them. So it's not enough to find the right things. You also have to do it in the right way. And I found that there were all sorts of ways I was making things harder, more complicated than they needed to be. And Mm. so out of that grew effortless. Don't you love that that constant reassessment in your life where you get to just keep course correcting over and over? I mean, like you said, you were living an essentialist life. You literally wrote the book on essentialism. <laughs> yes. And yet you saw room for how it could be better. And in your own words, the way that I've seen you summarize this is that essentialism was about doing the right things. Effortless is about doing them in the right way. I love how those pair together. Yes. I mean, I, I, feel, I, mean, I feel the same. I felt a little bit like... Um, a swimmer who hasn't learned to breathe properly or a weightlifter who's lifting with their back or uh, a baker who's still doing everything by hand, you know, kneading by hand instead of having a machine. It's not enough to know what the right thing is. This, this, the, the method, the way of doing it uh, makes all the difference. And, and that's really why I wrote the book. Uh, you know, my position is that life is hard, uh, excruciatingly hard and in all sorts of ways. And the complication on top of that is that, it, is that a lot of us add to that innate challenge, all sorts of ways we make it harder than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And so the implication of that is we start to burn out and we still haven't achieved the most important results we want in life. And so this book comes with a, 
you know, uh, hopefully some good news, which is that we can make a different choice, that we can find a, a noble, virtuous path that is also easier. And mm-hmm. if we can do that, a simpler, easier path, then we can both break through to the next level of contribution and results, but without burning out. So that's really the context and value proposition for Effortless. Can I just tell you, when I picked it up, within the first probably thousand words, I just breathed the biggest sigh of relief because Mm. I was like, this is exactly where I felt like I found myself, Mm. was that I had pared back. I had gotten really intentional about what I was inviting into my life. And to be honest you know, maybe an unhealthy attachment to achievement. And I'd done a lot of work with that. But where I found myself was kind of at this place of, okay, well, what now? Because there's lots of rocks that are super important. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to like arrange that jar because everything seemed essential at that point. Well, you and me both because, and and maybe lots of people listening too, because of the pandemic, that for working women, particularly right working mothers yes they've had a 150 percent increase in invisible work over the last 12 months now what are you supposed to do with that you know it's it's all very well and i in fact do agree with the idea of hey we'll go on a walk that's a good idea yeah but that isn't going to quite cut it right. I mean, this is enormously exhaustingly beyond what is really humane mm-hmm. and so it's and, and besides, for a lot of people in the, that category, they were already working as hard as they knew how to work. Mm-hmm. But often people who, have, who are hard workers, who are talented, who are driven, who are responsible people, deal with burnout by powering through. It's like, well, yep. well this, this isn't working, so I'm going to do even more of what I've been doing in the past. And so you go from being tired to then exhausted exhausted to burnout and from burnout i mean i think we need another word because there is a different word right it's uh, you you hit the wall and mm-hmm. still you think that's the strategy and so all the while there's a different stra- a whole different approach that is just not even really discussed which is like well let's not work harder to get better results let's just see if there's an easier way might there be a more effortless way to do the next thing I'm trying to do. And and what I found is that is that very often there is, but you have to ask a new question in order to get there. Greg, can I read uh, something from your book? I love That's it. Okay and with I, you? I, okay. Yes, and but I also have to say, because I can see it here, I don't know for those yeah. of you that are just listening, I love that you're holding the book. The book just came in just a few days ago, and so I got it for the first time as well. And there's something, I'm sorry for this personal thing, but I... I have I was I was worried what I would think about it. It's, it's, mm. I, I'm very self um, critical about graphics and look and feel and 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 I just I love holding it and I yes, love seeing you with you it. Should. <laughs> and I feel I feel like it has a good vibe about it. So oh, anyway, it does. I just I just love having you you holding it. Both of it you having it. It is gorgeous, there. and our news. listeners can't see because it is a an audio podcast. But Becky right. and I both are literally holding the book in our hands. And what you also can't see is that it is marked and annotated and highlighted. And we have both read it cover to cover well, before you, we Becky. got a chance thank to record you, with you. So thank you because it, ha- it is just dripping with wisdom. And one thing I want to read based on what you were just saying, it's found on page 30 for those who are going to actually follow along. But you said, quote, 
What if rather than fighting our pre-programmed instinct to seek the easiest path, we could embrace it, even use it to our advantage? What if instead of asking, how can I tackle this really hard but essential project? We simply inverted the question and asked, what if this essential project could be made easy? And then later, page 118, what are the minimum steps required to complete this? I love so much the examples that you gave. And I thought of my own examples of where I felt validated. I felt, a big, I felt many of examples where I felt like, oh, yep, course correcting. <laughs> mm. Um, mm. But perhaps you could share with our listeners um, just that quick example of that old printer sitting in your office, just to illustrate, or maybe another example if you'd rather, um, just to illustrate what we're talking about here, because I think it is our natural inclination to ask how we can tackle it, right? Instead of yeah. just saying, how can we make this easier? Yeah, I, I like the printer example precisely because it's such a mundane thing, but mm-hmm. life is full of mundane things. Everything is really just one more mundane thing. It's the next action. It's the next physical thing we can do. And I, we have a, we'd replaced our printer. Uh, the old printer wasn't working for us, but we're still in working condition. And so then it sat in my office and it's been in there a couple of weeks. Um, I keep looking at it when I'm scanning the room, get tidy up this place. And I see it there and there's this repeated cycle. It takes five seconds in my head, but it's like, do I sell it? Do I give it away? Do I throw it away? If I throw it away, I have to find a recycle center where the digital, and I'm not sure where that, and, and that was enough to go, oh yeah, I'm not doing that. I'll come back to mm-hmm. it. And that's, that, that's true for a lot of stuff. I mean, that's really why we procrastinate. Most of the time we're not getting 95% in and then stopping. It's just the very thought of it's overwhelming. And so we just, okay, forget it. And so then I thought, okay, well, I'm writing this book. I'm going to ask the question, or what, what if this could be effortless? And it signals instantly when you ask that question, you start scanning. It's quite exciting question in this sense because your Google brain starts like looking for all the possible <laughs> ways that it could be made effortless. And I look up and I see some workers down the road and I, I think, well, maybe they want it. And I go out, talk to them. Do you want it? Yes. Come back in, carry the printer, give it to them. It's done. Within literally actually timed two minutes of, since asking the question, <laughs> the problem is solved and executed. And I really did just kind of come back in after that. And I'm like, okay, this question is a keeper. Yeah. Like, I want to keep asking this. And so even now, it's a question that, like, my wife Anna will ask me this. Whenever I say, I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to achieve this, you know, I'm not sure how to do it. She will just ask the question, well, how can it be effortless? And it's never, every time she asks it, I like it. Yeah, right. Good. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> why do it the hard way? Why, why, what's the use in suffering through this? What if there is an easier path? And, and that path can often be revealed by asking a new question. As we've all heard, questions are answers. And so if you ask a better question, you're going to get a better answer. Absolutely. You even continued um, kind of on this note. Just one more thing I want to read. You said on page 33, because I marked it, yeah. when we feel overwhelmed, it may not be because the situation is inherently overwhelming. It may be because we are overcomplicating something in our heads. And I just wanted to give a shout out especially to the female species mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been speaking to and teaching women my entire adult life. And mm. I will be the first one to say, I get it. I know this natural inclination to overcomplicate things is just 
how we somehow seem to be wired sometimes, mm-hmm. but 99% of the time we are making things more overwhelming and overcomplicated and it's all in our head. Well, I think that's, I think there is some truth to this. And I think that what it is, is that, is that we have in the sort of in the back of our mind, all sorts of questions, ideas, outdated assumptions, all sorts of stuff. And it just exists there, um, invisible to us. And we are living out answers to questions we don't even know we're asking. Mm-hmm. And, and, and rather than even worry so much about that, that could itself be kind of overwhelming. If we just simply ask a new question, it starts to clear through all of that clutter and get us moving forward. I worked with, um, with a, a manager at, uh, at a university. Actually, it was at BYU. And she's a manager there. And she's responsible for a few groups, including the video videography department of her of the the school that she's in and she's the kind of person who if she's not exhausted she feels like she's not doing enough Mm. uh pretty much if she's not exhausted she's not being righteous you know that's not she's not even Mm -hmm. being a good person really so she feels guilty even if she eats lunch not if she takes time away for lunch even if she eats it she's the type of person who at 4 a.m in the morning is photoshopping for the youth event at church the next day. Mm-hmm. No one's asking her to do that. that. That is not external expectation. That is something inside that she's holding in the back that's just cluttering up, you know, burdening. Cluttering is not even a sufficiently strong word. It's just burdening her life endlessly. So I just said, listen, just let's, let's just not worry about all of that. Let's not try to have an overwhelming, exhausting path too effortless. <laughs> Let's take a, a, a simple approach. You just ask this. The next time someone asks you to do something, you just pause and, and ask, Look, could we just discuss and see if there's an effortless way to do this? Is there an easy way to do this? And so she gets a call from a university professor the next day or so. And he says, could you come and get your videography team to record my class for the semester? And she's off to the races immediately. She thinks, I'll get the team. We'll have multiple angles of the cameras. They're going to do a high-quality job for him. We're going to bring in, we'll, we'll edit the videos, we'll add graphics, we'll have an intro, outro, music. I mean, this is going to be superb. He's going to love us. And she's almost ready to just execute that, get off the phone and go. But she just, you know, been coached, no, I'm going to do this, asks the question. And in asking the question, discovers that this is actually for one student who is going to miss a few classes due to an athletic commitment and the solution they come up with together is another student will simply record on their phone mm-hmm. the classes he's going to miss and text it or email it to him. That's it. The professor <laughs> is delighted with that solution. He mm-hmm. hadn't thought about it either, but he's like, yeah, of course, that's easy, fine. And she gets off the phone. It's been a 10-minute conversation. She has saved four months of work for her and the whole team. And she's like, well, wh- where was that before? Where was that solution <laughs> hiding? Mm-hmm. It's hiding behind a better question. Mm-hmm. You, you, you've got to ask a better question. So as simple as it sounds, as, as oversimple as it sounds, just starting to ask that question of the next thing you're working on brings surprising answers. And I have found that to be true now day after day as I've been trying to ask it. There's still tons of things too complicated in my life. Mm-hmm. And that's the low-hanging fruit to be able to ask this question and start cluttering, decluttering my way through it. Well, I think you said something really important there uh, as you were giving that example, as you said, um, we're going to do an amazing job and they're going to love us. 
I think we have this myth that when we put ourselves in a place of complete depletion, when we have given our all, which we means given all we had and a hundred percent more, that then we are worthy of like feeling good about the job we've done, or then we are worthy of being loved. And I think that's one of the biggest myths that we need to like all universally dispel is that 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 is not a thing. That is something we have probably culturally invented, and it's something we continue to reinforce. So I know that that is a message that has really impacted how I parent my children because I have found myself in that place of like, you could do more, you could do better, you are capable of more. And I've had to really scale back. And I think this just has so many applications in parenthood and helping our generation that we're raising coming up to a different reality than what we understood. Yeah, I mean, this this idea of just perfectionism and its inherent relationship to just doing well, let's just stay on the perfectionism for a second. The idea that everything deserves the second mile. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, that's just as false as I can see it. Everything requires the second mile. Everything requires us to do all the bells and whistles we possibly can. Uh, one of the ways of stating this, I think, that may be helpful is to say just because someone asks you to do X doesn't mean you have to do you know, Y and Z as well. Just because somebody asks you to do a presentation doesn't mean you have to also do handouts and slides and music and whatever. Like, you don't have to add all of those things. You can just do the presentation. That's what you were asked for, to do. And and this, this additive thing, I mean, it blew up. I totally failed in a, in a high stakes, a great opportunity uh, when I was working, was invited to come and do a three- part series um, with a tech company uh, it was going to be you know it was just it was just like a hey we'll do this contract this but really we want you for two years to work on this project and it's going to be you know it was going to help them to scale as an organization a well well branded company and everything was set literally I had to do nothing but show up what they were asking for was well-practiced. I knew the material. They'd seen it elsewhere. It's a different company. They just wanted more of it. And instead, the night before, I'm like, well, last minute, well, you know, I could just do this new thing I've been thinking about. I spent hours and hours that night. I redid completely new slides, uh, new handouts. Uh, I, I, I'm foggy-brained the next morning because I didn't get a full night's sleep. It wasn't quite an all-nighter, but it was like hours and hours less than normal. And I'm going to this thing. I'm, I'm literally calling them. Hey, I just sent you over new slides. Print that, you know, not slides, new printouts. Can you, can you print them so that that's unprofessional? I get there. The slides, be, I can't even see the slides. They're behind mm-hmm. me. I keep turning around. What's the content? <laughs> somebody somebody asks familiar. a question. That, 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 yeah, it's exactly not familiar. They ask me a question on one of the slides. It just really like kind of bugs them. And I'm unprepared to know how to respond to that mm. because, again, untested material. The whole thing is a bomb. It's like totally didn't work. And uh, it, and they, they canceled the other two sessions. Mm. And then I never worked with them for the, that two years as had originally been planned. Why? Was it, I mean, all I had to do was do what was already prepared, already agreed to, already fine. Just all I need to do, just go take a good night's sleep, get up and just go do this thing. The easiest path was actually the path to the greatest victory. Mm-hmm. And yet I distrusted the easier path and that's what puritanism i think did to us 
you know, it's still some of these old ideas are still, you know, deep in the culture. Uh, and it didn't just teach that hard work is a value and a virtue, which, by the way, I think it is. But it also taught us to distrust the easy, that if anything is easy, it must be a vice. And so you get into this false dichotomy of either you have to be totally exhausted and the more right you want to be, the more righteous you want to be, the harder you ought to be working. Or on the other hand, you could take the easier path, but that's sloth and vice and not, not the way to go. Mm. And I just think it's so important to discover for those that need to discover it, that there is a virtuous but easier path. Uh, mm. I mean, I, I, of course, not everybody listening to this is, is uh, and they don't need to be, of course, uh, you know, a Christian, but in, the, in, you know, in a Christian ethic, uh, I mean, right there in the midst of, of, of core Christianity, Jesus says, my way is easy. My burden is light. Mm. That, that's crazy talk when you think about how it normally is for people uh, who are trying to sort of live this service-oriented virtuous life is that it is not easy. It is not light. And that makes me think that they just, just we haven't discovered what was being spoken about there, mm-hmm. that there is this alternative path and we're supposed to find it. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to hear something crazy? This is like the most ironic statement ever. So I had, I had a manuscript that I needed to submit to um, my editor by a mm. very specific deadline. Now this book was done a few days prior to the deadline. And I had this copy of your book and I thought, okay, this is going to be my reward for when I like finally submit this to the editor. And then I get to read this book that I know I'm just going to love so much. You even told me that. Yes. I knew how close you were to your deadline. Yes. And, and, and we, you know, we were yes. talking about effortless and, and you're like, I am hanging on. That's going to be my reward. That's going to be my reward. <laughs> oh, I can't sweet. wait. Yep. And of course, because I'm a human being, I guess I continued to edit, continued to write, continued to revise. My deadline was um, on a specific date. I turned my manuscript in at 11:59, the <laughs> night of my deadline, <laughs> and then finally the next day I started effortless, and I was like, "Well, garbage! I should have read this two <laughs> weeks ago because this would have made the whole experience different. Like I went down this whole path." Um, so. That was a poor choice. So <laughs> well, stop what you're doing and read effortless now. Well, but I, I love I, what you say um, in chapter six. It, you talk about defining and you say um, to define what done looks like. Can you speak to that? Well, you can't, you just can't achieve something essential or otherwise unless you get it done. So it's the simplest idea, but uh, but many of the important projects we begin we're imprecise we're vague about what done looks like and so it means that we can just expand and expand endlessly it's uh, one of my favorite case studies that I came across in researching this book was the the, the story of the Vasa uh, which is the king of Sweden yes. wants to build this great extraordinary ship mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 the crown jewel of his armada uh, and he just keeps on changing what done looks like or never really defining it and so you know at the first um you know he wants there to be 60 cannons and then he changes it oh i want there to be 130 in in this number of rows and he just keeps oh no i want the the ship used to be this long but i want to add another 
50 feet longer and so they have to all the wood's already been cut but they have to go back and they have to redo it and then he changes his mind again no even longer and eventually like he he kills off the person that he'd asked to do this work and so his his right hand man becomes the 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 next lead on the vasa and on it goes for decades like this uh and and then he adds these completely unnecessary non-essential trivial um if i remember like hundreds of of these uh, these extra facades, these these uh, monuments that are going to be on this ship, which are also totally unnecessary, uh, and and all of this, the ship is still not finished. He still hasn't defined what Dunn looks like, but for him, he still se- wants to celebrate it and show it off, and so he brings in all these um, these uh, VIPs uh, from neighboring countries. And they they do this big sort of gun salute to the to these. Uh, these VIPs that they've got there. And it, because they do that, all of the gun, uh, all the cannons are open and a gust of wind pulls the ship just over slightly so that all these water starts gushing in uh, through the open cannons. And within less than one mile on its maiden voyage, the Vasa sinks. 53 people die. And it's just like the most expensive... Uh, ship in swedish history mm-hmm. uh, ever and it's all because really at the heart of it is that they never define what done looks like and so and so i mean i think people can relate to that of course we've never built a ship like that but but we can relate to this idea that we start a project and as we're doing it well but it would be good maybe if we could add this and oh wouldn't it be good if we added that and and bit by bit we just burden ourselves and all the time it's like we keep putting rocks in the back of our a, mm-hmm. a backpack and we're like mm-hmm. stumbling forward slower and, and, and it, it, why can't i get there as we keep adding and adding and i just think when we can get really clear uh about what done looks like i mean there's, there's practical examples of this right you could say i mean for me uh, I've, I've had very vague goals before about you know losing weight i want to lose weight and that sounds about right you say oh they're directionally right but that's not done like you can't you don't know when you're done with that goal but if I say, okay, I, I want to look down at the weighing scale and see the number 177 staring back at me, that's what done looks like. Now mm-hmm. I know. At least I get clear about it. Mm. I can say I want to walk more. Uh, but again, that's not, you can't do anything with that. But you could say, well, I want to reach 10,000 steps on the Fitbit per day, five days in, in a row. Okay, now I know what done looks like. And, and so on, right? Like you know, every, everything we, every essential project we want to do, we can simplify our efforts by defining what done looks like so then we don't just keep adding and adding and making it you know harder to complete so you're not submitting your book at 1159 after you've revised it 84,000 times well like i mean that. i don't i don't feel like i don't feel like knocking you at all with it though because you because you did get it done and yes i mean i'm a, i i i'm very sympathetic to this like tinkering thing uh-huh. you know i i wanted we to tinker uh, and keep tinkering and keep tinkering but but it is to know when, when your silly dog is, <laughs> it is to know when your tinkering has reached diminishing returns. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So when I was writing the book, I definitely knew that. I mean, this is sort of a different principle. This isn't what done looks like. This is more. This is more like. Well, I don't know. It's just a slightly different principle. Notice when you've reached diminishing returns if i wrote for two hours uh then that was optimal 
I could, I could, I'm, I'm talking like a goal of maybe writing two pages a day. Mm-hmm. Like if you can write two competent pages a day, that is a lot of progress in my opinion. And if you can do that consistently, you can write kind of as many books as you'd like to in your lifetime uh, because it's steady progress. If I wrote for three hours, uh, then the third hour I could still make progress, but I wasn't being, I couldn't suddenly do three pages of the same quality as the first two. Hmm. So, you know, it's already diminishing returns. That's a good time to stop, stop at two hours, you know, and if you, if you're going to carry on doing it after that, you know, stop at, um, stop at three hours, but don't go beyond into what I would call uh, negative returns. If I wrote for four hours or five hours or beyond, the whole manuscript was worse than if I hadn't even worked on it that day. Mm-hmm. I would start damaging it. <laughs> yes. My motives weren't different, but you're making it worse. Well, what about this? Oh, I've got an idea. Let's redo that whole chapter that was actually right. perfectly done. You start making poor choices. And so I certainly think you want to take some self-awareness, but to be aware of when you reach diminishing returns and just stop. Yes. Well, and there's a fine line, isn't there, between feeling creative and feeling that inspiration come for a particular project and, um, and knowing your parameters to keep everything fresh. Um, I love that. And you've shared in, in Effortless, you shared incredible examples of that. Another, another principle that I found really, really fascinating, and it's one of the top things in Effortless that I have found myself really applying on my day-to-day is that mm. principle that you shared of pairing essential activities Mm. with enjoyable ones, mm. meaning we all have things that we want to do that aren't necessarily important and important things that we may not necessarily want to do. I'd love for you to speak to that, maybe even give some examples from your life and maybe Becky and I could share an example as well to help paint this picture for our listeners. Yeah, I, I love this one too because there's no, like why does everything have to be suffering? Mm. Um, the, the, I think a lot of people, in fact, I've had people quote this to me, even on the, even on this effortless tour where people will say, well, but isn't this true that the most important things in life are the hardest things in life? I mean, they, they, they people mm. have brought quite poetic phrases to me. And now a little part of me goes, I think that's like crazy. Like, hmm. really? I'm not saying that they can't, the most important things aren't sometimes hard. I, I'm not saying they never are, but we're going to, we're going to, put that in poetry we're gonna like put that as a mantra well you know it's essential stuff is the hardest stuff in life well if you want it to be right uh but what if what if there's this other alternative this third alternative we've been talking about so an experience for for me in my life with this uh was we have a pretty good ritual around um around eating together at night and uh, we, we we'll do like cheers to each other and and shout outs and you know try to keep that positive it's not always but but a lot of the time that works but right when dinner ends when the cleanup needs to happen oh yeah everybody's gone (laughs) Mm -hmm. children i have four children and they are gone they are like ninjas (laughs) and 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 if you grab them cat and mouse well i I just need to do this homework it's hard to argue with that i'm just going to the bathroom here of course you are but hard to argue with that and so this is the state of affairs. So I say, okay, let's make an improvement on this. Like, I, I don't try to overcomplicate it, even try to, what's an effortless solution? We divide up responsibilities, who's going to do what. Uh, we've, got, uh, we've got minimum standards of completion. 
You know, what does it mean to wipe down the table? What is it? There's some training involved. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got the whole thing down. We, we review it multiple times so everybody knows day one we're going to start this. Let's go. I'll tell you what happened. Nothing. Uh, I mean, it was exactly as it had been before. Everyone's gone again. Ninjas have returned. So it wasn't until we added this this one additional feature that we got to a tipping point. And it was my eldest daughter added just karaoke music, basically. I mean, it was Disney at first. Uh, they do all sorts now. Uh, but it's just like these loud, put the music on loud, something fun, it's feel good. And within a heartbeat, somebody's singing to it. And mm-hmm, then once mm-hmm. one person is, and they're not singing to anyone, they're just singing because you can't really not do it. Then someone <laughs> else is, then someone else is. And it is like a little party. And so we've gone then from it being a chore, right? Okay, that's how it was before, to the point that it's become an enjoyable ritual. And mm. if you can go from a chore that feels like drudgery into something that's like an enjoyable ritual, on an activity that's important, and you're going to do it anyway, it's just a better way to do it. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be so painful. And mm. I thought people wouldn't believe this story uh, unless they've experienced it, which I've found that lots of people have actually. Uh, but and so the other day when they were tidying up without me, I wasn't even there. Like I wasn't helping them even. They were just doing it. And I heard the music and I heard the singing and, the, and I went and just caught just a few seconds of it and put it on Instagram so that people could just see that it's for real. And I love it. I mean, I just, um, I love uh that 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 you can find joyful rituals and turn the monotony uh the the chores into things that are better but i'm interested in your examples Mm, well i love it thank you so much for sharing that because i love so much the principle and i love the stories that we think of from what you shared in the book and from people that i know personally um and then in my own life and this seems so simple but i was thinking about one of the pairings in my life is hiking right? Which I, Becky and I both love hiking, but at the end of the day, I'm now speaking just for myself, not for Becky Proudfit, but hiking sometimes, most of the time feels like a hard thing that is important. It feels essential. Why? Because I'm taking care of my body, right? Exercise of any kind is important for pretty much every human. We need to take care of this body, right? So hiking is necessary. It's essential. It's important. Um, I value it. But to get motivated to go out and to make it a regular ritual is hard for me. Mm. And yet, when I know that I have that really good episode of a podcast to listen to or to pick up where I left off with that audiobook, oh, my shoes are laced up, my sunscreen is on, <laughs> and I am out the door, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a pairing for me that has, it clicked, right? When you talk about that in the book, it clicked. It's the same as listening to music while I'm doing housework without my kids around, it's just doing housework without, you know, something fun to listen to. I mean, let me back up. There's a time and a season. Sometimes hiking, housework, driving, the things that we need to do. Sometimes silence is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we need that quiet time and that space. I'm a big fan, a big advocate. But um, pairing these things with intentional does take the essential, important, necessary things and bump some up a notch to make it less um, full of effort or otherwise more effortless <laughs> and more enjoyable. Yeah. Well, and, I, and, and the idea, I think, is just, you know, habits are one thing. Like you've got chores, then habits, but then rituals is something better. 
Mm. Yeah, rituals are habits with a soul, and the difference between a habit and a ritual is that habits are something that you do, and positive habits are the things that you know you're doing something that's essential, and it becomes ritual. It becomes no, I shouldn't use that word. Becomes habitual. Mm. It's going to be done, but you, you it, no, I say that again. Habits are useful in the sense that you are glad after you've done them, right? I, I didn't enjoy the running, but I enjoyed the benefit afterwards. Rituals are different because the thing itself has become enjoyable for you. Mm. That the way you're doing it itself has meaning. And so if you can take something that previously you thought of as just drudgery, and then you can find a way to do it that is satisfying in and of itself, then you have changed the experience takes less out of you gives more back to you mm-hmm. now i know that marie kondo's work can be both overwhelming uh, in fact i use her example as both a good example and also in overwhelming ways because i think there's different ways to apply it mm-hmm. but one of the things that she got so right i think was the idea that like for example if you're folding if you learn a way that has meaning that you fold it a certain way, that you, you enjoy the experience itself. Instead of it just being like, oh, I've got to fold my laundry, that's one more thing to do. The experience itself becomes something renewing. And, and I think that's one of the reasons it hits such a nerve with so many people is because it was previously chore efficiency. And she said, this is, there's beauty in this. There is meaning in this. If you do it a certain way, if you're doing it in a thankful way, if you're doing it in a way that you like what, it makes it beautiful as you're doing it and the outcome of it. This is a, this is what is the different between, you know, a chore, a habit and a ritual. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, I think maybe one of the myths is that the best that we can hope for is a life full of good habits and productivity, right? And mm. then that equals happiness. Mm. And what I love about this way of thinking is saying, no, there's so much more. There's another level. There's more joy to be had in our lives because we can create those moments of meaning and joy inside of the mundane, inside of the hard, inside of the wonderful, inside of all of it. And it really is just a way to cultivate more joy and more meaning in your life. Um, Our thing that we do, um, and actually the first part of this uh, story happened because I realized one of the things I was doing that I didn't need to be doing was folding laundry because Mm -hmm. I have very capable four children who can fold their own laundry. (laughs) So I don't need to be doing that. It's something I can kind of outsource. And we found a way to make it fun. So each week in our house, I'm washing laundry as it comes in. And then on Sundays, we dump all the laundry after church. We dump all the laundry out in this huge mountain in our family room. And we all kind of gather around it. And in the beginning of this, the kids would like play in it and jump around in it. Now that they're a little bit older, um, (laughs) they do just, we all sit down and fold together. And that is the time that as a family, we watch this specific show. Right now it's, I think it's Winter Soldier or something on Disney+. Plus. We're watching this show together that the whole family loves and we kind of gather around this pile of laundry. And so laundry is expected, it gets done and everybody likes it. It's just a fun thing for us. And I, love I feel great that it's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. And you're doing it together as well. And it's a great example, right? We've been talking, you know, a bit about laundry here in different ways. And it just illustrates exactly the point, which is that just because something 
just because something is important doesn't make it doesn't mean it has to be drudgery mm-hmm. but but i think there's a lot of people listening to this who have said yeah i mean yeah i do the laundry you know, you've jumped some stuff's just you got to do it you don't want to do it you've got to do it which i guess probably is true sometimes but they would put laundry under that you know folding laundry would go under that firmly under that category but does it have to be can't we create something that that is connected with something more joyful uh, one of the one of the suggestions in the book that I that I we, my wife and I have done is we actually made lists of what is joyful for us. What do we mm-hmm. enjoy? What's relaxing for us? What do we just like? And they're very different. Our lists aren't the same at all. And you don't have to justify this to anyone, but you just make a list of ten things or as many as twenty things, and those become little building blocks that you can then use if you have if you have something that's a, uh, that right now feels like drudgery. You say, okay, is there any way that I could include one of these other items or two of these other items just to make it a little less hard? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so our financial meeting was like this. Like we, we were just not great at doing it every week. And <laughs> I don't think we're alone in that, but, but no. we, we just, <laughs> but we just, you know, like, and then it became a bit stressful for us because our approach to money is different too which is, of course, you know, that's pretty universal as well. And so then it became, you know, the longer you're not doing it, the more stressful that is just because there's things that need to be done and, and you need to do it. And then fi- you know, finally you try and do it. It's this multi-hour thing. And it's just, it just doesn't work. It's, it's, not, it's just not the opposite of effortless. Mm-hmm. And, and so we say, okay, well, how can we just make it a little more enjoyable? Okay, we can eat these foods, uh, dark almonds my wife likes. And then she would sometimes make food for us maybe put on a little music that i like and and then i noticed even something else about it that that i actually really like tidying up that's that's something that i that i feel good in the process of doing it and i realized well financial meetings really just tidying up a lot of it it's just tidying up putting things in order Hmm. and and this was just enough to get us a little more firmly into the routine of it and so now we i'm not saying we're like i wouldn't give us like an a plus um but we do meet every week and work on it. And that alone reduces the stress because if you've, if you've only got to deal with the last week's worth of stuff, it's just less stressful and less buildup than if you've left it for a few months and then you're so suddenly true. dealing with it all. And so that, that's been another example that's been a success. I've got loads of fail stories with, it, with everything in Effortless <laughs> and Essentialism. But this has been another thing that has started to work for us. And, uh, and, and I, I, you know, I hope that this gives all these examples just help people to go uh, this. Yeah, not everything has Mm -hmm. to be so hard. Not everything. There's no question in my mind that what you've been sharing is resonating with our listeners and is inspiring them to reevaluate how they're doing things in life and how to make them more effortless. And if we've not made it clear enough, when you guys, listeners, dear friends, when you read effortless, you will feel those things that are personal for you in Greg's work, in his stories, in his examples, in his case studies, in his research. Um, Greg, as we round out, I would love for you to share with our listeners where to um, not just find your books and order um, every piece of work (laughs) that you (laughs) offer, um, but where to find you on social media and um, where they can connect with you. 
Yeah, I just I just recent, relatively recently got uh, active on Instagram. So just so at, glad. Greg, at Gregory McEwen. Yeah, it's, it's, what an amazing community mm-hmm. uh, Instagram is and so active and it's been fabulous. So that's at Gregory McEwen on Twitter, the same at Gregory McEwen, uh, same on LinkedIn. Uh, gregmcewan.com is a place and then uh, there's a one minute Wednesday a free newsletter that just is trying to be sort of the one the best minute you spend online each week just literally you can read it in 60 seconds and just helps you know bring essentialism or effortless to the fore Uh, and uh, what else Uh, the what's essential podcast um, yes so uh, good you guys well thank it's kind of you to say um and and I mean I think well choose one of the above you know whatever whatever <laughs> seems like seems like Start the best somewhere. place to begin yeah I love that well I'm gonna read one more quote from your book um, and this is gonna resonate with a lot of our listeners because in our community we have a lot of um, value and priority in documenting and mm. telling our stories and. Mm recognizing these pieces of what makes us who we are and all of that. And on page 171, you said, we love stories. We understand stories. We remember stories. And that means it's easier to share or to teach stories. Stories have the power to turn any audience into a room full of teachers. Mm. I wanted to thank you for talking about stories <laughs> in Effortless. <laughs> well, we, we, I was so inspired by people who, there's one, one example comes to mind of, of a family, who, an intergenerational tradition where they get together once a year and tell st- stories about, you know, the, the matriarch of the family who, who passed away, you know, decades ago, but they still get together and just share a few slides and share a few pictures. And I, I thought that was such a powerful tradition because uh, because we're so forgetful uh, because I, mean, I was just talking to my children the other night and noticed that realized they don't know anything about the schools that i grew up in in england mm. they don't know anything about the people and that's despite the fact that i have actually taken them to the schools i grew up in but they were just so young when we did that they just can't remember anything about it and i think that kind of me- memory decay uh, is is pretty shocking. Uh, and what it means, we don't realize it in our life because so much lives inside of us. We just don't realize how much we take with us. Yep. And so unless we are a little bit intentional about this in saying, okay, and, and, and then there's like, which stories do I want to share and want to be remembered? Because I know that I've sometimes left that to happen by default. And so the mm. stories that they remember are just, you know, like not, maybe it's the one I repeat the most, but it isn't necessarily the most important story I want them to know about. And so trying to think about, okay, uh, what, 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 if I could just tell, have maybe top five stories that I want them to know from my childhood, what are they? <laughs> Choose them go. right. Mm-hmm. Keep going back to them because these are the ones that they, if you, you know, if you're going to get them to remember anything, these will be the ones and these mm-hmm. can be the ones they can share with others. Great advice. All of it is such great advice. And we are so grateful, Greg. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us and inspire our community. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Becky. 
Friends, thank you for carving out the time to listen and for joining us in this continued conversation about cultivating a good life. Nothing we have said is more important than the specific things you have felt that are personal for you. We invite you to write down those promptings and most importantly, act on them. We love you. We're cheering you on and we look forward to being with you next week. Bye-bye. Bye guys. Love it. Oh, one of my favorites. It's going down Mm -hmm. as one of my favorites. What an honor.